I just want to first tell you how fallible the human mind and heart is. The number one thing I was worried about walking up here is um, when I was going to find time to drink some of this water and it not be awkward. So I hope by bringing attention to it, I somehow made it less awkward. Uh, Well, I am excited uh, to continue on in this series, What Is? We're asking big questions about God, about theology, about the Bible and our lives as Christians. We want to know what we believe and why we believe it. And so before we dive in this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time and to shape our hearts. Father God, you've given us your word. You've given us the person of your son. And if we are united in Christ, you have indwelled us um, with the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray this morning that your word will be effective, it will be active. God, I pray that it will be your words that are spoken, not my own. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be shaped by your word, by learning, uh, leaning into deep questions, hard truths. Uh, God, we will be feel, pray that we feel challenged. I pray that we feel encouraged. I pray that we feel refreshed. Father, be with me, be with us as we prepare to hear from your word. All God's people said, amen. So uh, this week, our question is, what is discipleship? Brent, would you like your Bible? I was going to toss it, and I was like, probably, probably better not. So there's just not enough room up here for my iPad and your Bible. What is um, discipleship? Now, that's a really big and that's a really important question, but before we answer the question, what is discipleship, we must first answer the question, what is a disciple? Oh, and uh, you, have, you can follow along in your notes, uh, and there's also on the app, you go to the sermon under notes, you can follow along there as well if you're at home and don't have um, a uh, worship guide. So before we can answer what is discipleship, we first have to understand what is a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? And see, this is a really, really important question uh, to answer as Christians because the New Testament uses the word disciple 270 times. Uses the word disciple 270 times. In comparison, the, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. We have over 270 uses of the word disciple uh, and only three uses of the word Christian. But a lot of times, we know what it means to be a Christian, but we struggle with what it means to be a disciple. So if the very words of God are trying to tell us this is what a disciple is, this is what they look like, this is what they act like, then it must be important. So first we need to answer what it means to be a disciple. So in ancient history, in, in, the, in the Near East, uh, in the first, early first century when Jesus lived, there would be these kind of roaming packs of, of students and teachers. And they would, uh, there would be one teacher, and they would uh, follow this guy around, and they would uh, try to learn everything they could from this teacher. In the Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, uh, these teachers were called rabbis. That may be a familiar word to you. Uh, in, in some translations, uh, the disciples frequently called Jesus rabbi or teacher. But these students uh, that are following these rabbis, these famous rabbis around, they aren't just like any old schmo that decided, hey, I'm going to go uh, follow this, this guy. I'm going to go learn. 
But no, these were people who uh, were proficient in uh, the Torah and the first five books of the Bible. They, were, they had studied the scriptures. They had excelled uh, in the temple. They were taught by a local teacher. Uh, and then they were, uh, if they excelled in that, they would be sent off to go study with some famous rabbi, some famous teacher, and they would go follow him around. And, and they were called disciples. Those students who followed the rabbis would be called disciples. So they'd, they'd walk around and they'd follow these, uh, these teachers, these rabbis, and they would receive instruction about scriptures and information. Uh, that, that's true. But the primary purpose that these disciples would go follow these, these teachers or these rabbis was not to learn more information uh, or more about the scriptures. They had already excelled in that. They'd already proven their worth. They've already said, look, I'm smart enough. I know the scriptures well enough. I've proved myself. So why were they following, if they were so smart and they were so uh, learned, why would they go follow these rabbis or these teachers around? Well, they were following them, not to learn information, but to learn firsthand, to see firsthand how this famous rabbi or this famous teacher lived their everyday life. See, they weren't just trying to memorize information or even learn more about God or about God's people. The primary reason disciples would follow a rabbi was to see how they lived their life and then they would imitate how the the rabbi lived. Disciples are, this this is a, a definition of disciples. Disciples are followers of a teacher with the intention of imitation. So see, they want to follow someone around, not just to learn a lot from them, but they want to live their life as this person. They want to live exactly as this rabbi is choosing to live. It reminds me of this scene um, in one of maybe the best movie ever made, Forrest Gump. Uh, There's a scene where uh, Forrest is sitting on his front porch and he just, he, for no reason, he decides he'd like to go for a run. And he says he gets up and he runs off his porch and he runs down his driveway, and so he decided he'll, he'll run across town, and then he decides, I'm going to run across Greenbow County, and then he says, I'm going to run across the great state of Alabama, and he said, and I just kept running until I eventually found an ocean. And when I got to that ocean, I decided, I've come this far, why don't I turn around and go to the other one? And so he gets sort of this notoriety for this, just this running, right? And so he's going back and forth, and the news is following him, and this guy, there's this scene where this guy comes up to him, and this is what he says. He, he says, um, I saw you on the news and I said, and I thought to myself, here's a guy who's got his act together. Here's a guy who's got it all figured out. Here's a guy who's got the answer. And then he says this, I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. And Forrest says, okay. And he keeps running. See, that scene is a, it seems silly, but it's a reminder that we are constantly searching for someone or something to follow. Our identities, the the very person who we are at our core, is driven by following someone or something. See, the guy starts to follow Forrest, not because just for some random purpose, but he starts to follow him because he believes that Forrest has it all figured out, that he holds the secrets to living a fulfilling life, that Forrest has it all together. And that is the, the same reason that people would go follow rabbis in ancient time. They were following them because they would see this rabbi and think, here's a guy who's got all the answers. Here's a guy who's got his act together. Here's a guy who's got it all figured out. 
So what they wanted uh, to find out was not what the scripture said, but they wanted to see where the scripture led, the kind of life that God's word led to. They didn't just want to learn from their teacher, they wanted to live like their teacher. They wanted to speak like their teacher, behave like their teacher. Ultimately, they wanted to think like their teacher. They were always intending to imitate their teachers. And so uh, that's what a disciple is. That's a big umbrella term for a disciple. So this morning, we have to narrow our focus. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of things in in March of, of 2021 that are constantly begging us to be disciples of them. And you think, maybe that's weird. I don't, I don't know anyone that's calling me to be their disciples. But so back in the day on social media, we had MySpace. You had your top 10 what? Friends. And then Facebook came along, and you've got friends. And then Twitter comes along. We no longer have friends. We have followers. You open Instagram, and you see how many people are interacting uh, with your posts. Those people are called your followers. You open TikTok, those people are called your followers. See, the way we uh, value our social influence is no longer by our friends, it's by our followers. It's how much influence we have on another person. And so there are people whose jobs it is, like it's it's literally their job to put pictures of themselves on social media, right? Uh, Get a bunch of followers and say, hey, doesn't this look like the good life? Doesn't it look like I've got it all figured out, hey, you want to live like this? Buy this product that I use. Behave like me. Think like me. Talk like me. If we buy the products they do, if we believe the same values they do, or even sometimes, hey, if you just hate the same group of people that I hate, then you can get it all figured out. We can make this thing work. We don't have to agree on everything. We just have to hate those people. We're constantly living in a world that is trying to disciple us, that's trying to show us a picture of the good life. This is what it looks like to live the good life, and here's how you get there. This morning, it's not enough for us to ask, what is a disciple? Because we're constantly being discipled by something. We have to ask, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I think Jesus gives us uh, an accurate summary or or definition of what it means to be a disciple of his. In, In Matthew 16, verse 24, he says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But right there, uh, Jesus gives us, uh, I'm going to say, two marks of what being a disciple. We, we want to say, hey, what does being a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like? What does it entail? How do I, how, how do, I do it? How do I see him on the news and go, and go follow him? Being a disciple of Christ is two things. It's a denial of self and a radical obedience to Christ. It's a denial of self and radical obedience to to Christ, to follow Jesus, to truly be a disciple of Jesus. We have to abandon this notion that we can have it all figured out or that we can make it on our own or that we can work hard enough or, or be smart enough or, or just, or Nike, right? Or just do it on our own. The narrative of the culture right now is, is an individual narrative. I read a stat uh, this week when I was doing research is that especially in European countries, um, the population of people living uh, on their own individually is up like 200% over the last 30 years. 
is that people's lives are all about themselves. But this is not the narrative of Christianity. The, the teaching of Christianity is not about the individual. You go back to the 1500s, there's this thing called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it asks this question. The first question this catechism asks, it says, what is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong both body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first step, the first definition that we have to understand of being a disciple of Christ is admitting that you are not in control of your life. Is admitting that you are not your own, that these hands, this mind, this heart is not your own to do with as you will, but they belong fully to Christ. Paul writes uh, in, in his second letter to the church in Corinth, he says, Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul is telling us Christ died so that we might live not for ourselves, but for him. So we deny ourselves and we have to radically obey. See, when we talked about uh, uh, the disciples of the early, uh, of the early you know, first century, they were the best of the best. They were the smartest. Uh, they had proved themselves. But Jesus doesn't just call the best of the best. He doesn't just call the smartest or the people who have proved themselves, but he calls all kinds of people to himself. In, in, when he was actually calling his disciples while he was walking the earth, he calls tax collectors who worked for the Roman government. He calls zealots who were directly opposed to the Roman government. He calls fishermen, whoever it may be, he calls them to himself. And what does he call them to do? Drop everything and follow me. We deny ourselves and we radically obey. We drop everything, all aspects of our life, and we dedicate it to him. That is radical obedience. If you go back uh, to the verse in Matthew, we're not just dropping everything in our lives, but we're also picking something up. It says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So he lets us know up front that being a disciple of Jesus Christ will not of Jesus Christ will not be an easy road. That it is not going to be popular. It's not be, going to be politically expedient. You're not always going to win. People are not always going to understand what it is that you are doing. He says, you have to pick up this instrument of torture and death, carry it with you all the time. It is going to be hard. Because being a disciple of Jesus requires trust. And that trust and that faith leads us to obedience, obeying that Jesus knows what he is doing and where he is taking us. We have to trust, in that verse, he doesn't say why we have to carry this cross. He doesn't say, hey, here's why you have to do this. He just says, do it. We have to trust and obey him even when it's hard. So disciples, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to deny yourself and to radically obey the commands of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. So that's what it means to be a disciple. Now we have to transition to the question of the week. What is discipleship? Was that awkward? That's a callback joke. So, what is discipleship? 
Now, this is a little bit harder because uh, the word disciple is used 270 times uh, in, in the New Testament. The word discipleship cannot be found. There is no word that means discipleship uh, in the Bible. So we have to extrapolate ideas, uh, and, and we're going to do that in Matthew uh, chapter 28 in a very familiar uh, 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 set of verses to us. So uh, we deny ourselves, we have radical obedience to Jesus as disciples. And so he's going to give us a big command. This is right before Jesus uh, is, going to be, uh, is going to ascend into heaven. He's died, he's been resurrected, and now he's about to ascend. And this is the final command that he gives. Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, this is what he says. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We know this as the, the Great Commission. This is a text that we hear from a lot, but I want to be clear about one very specific thing this morning. One specific thing that we can remember and that we can hold on to, and that is this, that there is one command in this text. In the original Greek, you can, the, the way Greek grammar works, you can tell when something is a command. It's like when your mom uses your middle name. Like you know you better get it done. Ryan Tate. We know that this is a command. And it's not the first, many people think it would be go, right? Go. That's, that's not it. It's not, it's not teach. It's not baptize. The one command in this text is make. The command of Matthew 28, 19 is to make disciples, or in another word, to practice discipleship. So Jesus is, is telling the disciples, I'm leaving, and now that I'm gone, I was the rabbi. Now that I'm gone, you are the rabbis. You are the teachers. So to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is actually not just to deny yourself or to obey Jesus, but in our obedience to Jesus' command, disciples must make more disciples. Be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. It is one of the commands uh, that we are given strictly that if you want, you want to be a disciple, you want to follow Jesus, make disciples. Go and, and make disciples. Go and practice discipleship. So, I want to step back for a second and, and, and think about uh, one way, we, uh, a wrong way we think about discipleship. Jesus says, uh, go and make disciples. It's really important to point out that this text does not say, go and make believers. Or go and and make converts. It specifically says go and make disciples because I think too many times we get these ideas confused and we think that a believer or a convert and a disciple are the same thing. But hear me, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out in the world who know about Jesus, who may even say that they are a believer in Jesus, but they are not disciples of Jesus. See, because we, as the, as the church, have 
failed in a big way because we, for too long, have seen conversion as the end game for, for making disciples. We, we think, hey, you come in, you, you, you say a prayer, we'll baptize you, and boom, done. Count it, we'll send that number off, and we'll be looking real good. We think of conversion as the end game of the Great Commission, but that is not what it is. The end game is not to make more people believe in Jesus, it's to make more people follow Jesus. It's to practice discipleship. One of my favorite pastors, um, J.T. English, he said it this way, in evangelism sometimes, we think of conversion as a touchdown, when in reality, conversion is the kickoff. And when someone uh, has converted, has, has committed to follow Christ, that's when the game starts. That's when the work begins because evangelism without discipleship is just, is just cheap grace. We're just making people excited about Jesus, right? And then we're leaving them high and dry. And they, they don't know how to follow him. They don't know what it means uh, to act like Jesus. They, they don't know what it means to speak like Jesus. And they sure don't know what it means to think like Jesus. So how do we begin to not just convert people, but to disciple people, to practice discipleship? Well, Jesus gives us two tools um, in this text. And it's not just by going out and spreading the gospel and making people believe. It's not just that. There's two means that he gives us. There are two tools that Jesus gives us to fulfill the command of the Great Commission. And it's baptism and teaching. Baptism and teaching. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How, Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm not going to spend too long on baptism because, spoiler alert, next week we're going to talk about baptism. But this is what I'll say very briefly. Baptism is a symbol of a few different things. So first, it's a symbol of an escape from God's judgment. Um, it's a reminder uh, when God flooded the earth that uh, he selected Noah to, to emerge, to escape God's judgment. And so now uh, when people choose to follow Jesus, they are trusting that they will be put under the water and then they will escape judgment. They will come back out. It's a symbol of, of cleansing, right? That sin has, has left a stain on us and that the blood of Christ washes us clean. But, but most importantly, it's a symbol of rebirth, that we have been born again. The old man is gone and we have been given birth into a new family, into the family of Christ. We are given his name. We are adopted into his family. So we, so we practice baptism in obedience as symbols of commitments uh, to Christ, but also um, to say, hey, we are part of your new family. So that's really brief. You got to come back next week if you want more info on baptism. So see you next week. So baptism is one tool, but the next tool he gives us is teaching. Jesus instructs his disciples to make more disciples, and the way he says to do that is to baptize them and to teach them. He doesn't say just, just dunk them and dump them, right? That was pretty funny. We can't just lead people through a prayer and expect them to get it, like a light bulb, right? That's not how Jesus instructed us to practice discipleship. We are to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And here's a place where we really struggle in modern times. Recent studies have shown that evangelical Christians know less about the Bible now than we ever have. We are more uninformed about God's word now as a people than, than we ever have been since the Bible has been written and given. 
Some other studies actually show that there's higher Bible literacy uh, among pagans and atheists than some Christian denominations. That should break our hearts. That should wreck us. If, if one of the primary ways that we are called to practice discipleship, to make disciples, is to teach, but we don't know what God's word says, how can we ever fulfill the great, command, the great commission? How can we ever make disciples? How can we ever instruct people on how to live out the commandments of Christ if we don't know what living out the commandments of Christ looks like? How can we teach people to deny self and to carry their cross and to follow Jesus if we don't even know what that means or looks like? How can we convince people that following Jesus is the best life they can live if we don't even know what living for Christ looks like? These are, there are a ton of challenges facing us in the church. Outside the walls, there are, there are challenges that are hard, but there is no more pressing issue inside of the church walls than this, that we do not know the scriptures. And if we cannot teach people what it means to make disciples, then we cannot make disciples. And if we cannot make disciples, then we ourselves are not disciples. Many times we confessed that the Bible is our ultimate authority, but we continue to act as if we are our own authority. See, there are so many stories I've heard over the year, uh, years of, of young men and young women who have been converted, they've been adopted into the family of Christ, and then they come to a church and they have nowhere to turn uh, to, be, to be trained or to be formed or to be discipled. No one's offering them education and uh, they're just passing the buck to a Christian college, right, or a, or a Christian seminary. I heard a pastor talk about how uh, he was converted in college, and he went to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I, I, want, to, I, want, to, uh, I want to know my Bible. I, I want to follow Jesus. I'm thinking about getting into ministry, and the pastor looked at him and said, you should go to seminary. And the, the young man said, okay, what's that? I don't know what that is. And he continued to think, but isn't that your job as the pastor? Isn't that your job as a brother and sister to disciple someone, to, to grow them, uh, to move them towards looking more like Jesus? Sometimes we, we fail not to do it because we think it's too awkward or we think we don't know enough or we just think, oh, someone else will do it. I'll send them to youth group. I'll send them to kids ministry. I'll send them to young adults ministry. Or we just teach good morals, or we only talk about these really heightened spiritual things. This is, this is really important. This is not in your notes, but, but I would encourage you to write it down because I, I didn't think of it until late. But discipleship is not just training someone in spiritual stuff. It's not just, discipleship is not just saying, hey, read your Bible every day and, and pray consistently and, and, and those things. Those are all good things, right? But discipleship is the training of the whole person, their head, how they think, their heart, what they believe, how they feel, their hands, what they do. Because when we disciple people's whole bodies, their, their whole persons, that is when we start to see fully grown and mature followers of Jesus. And we don't have to be scared of college professors who are going to challenge uh, our young adults uh, who are going to challenge their faith. We don't have to be scared of, of movies and television shows and books with, with things we don't agree with. Uh, and then we don't have to run from them, but we can engage them because our whole mind, our whole 
thoughts, our whole heart is engaged and grown and educated and trained in the word and the actions of the person of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is training of the whole person. So if we want to make disciples, then we have to commit to knowing God's word and training ourselves theologically so that as we go, we can begin to make disciples. And not just say, hey, read your Bible, hey, pray, but we can begin to engage in deep conversations about uh, about how we feel about the world, what is going on around us. We can become whole person, not just spiritual persons on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but we are people who are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are discipled every day of the week. What I don't want you to hear is that I'm shaming you or guilting you or making you feel uh, inadequate because you don't know scripture or you don't uh, disciple well or you don't whatever you're thinking. That's not what I mean to do. I don't, I don't mean to, to make you feel guilty or to flee. I don't mean to make you angry or to, to shame you. If you're feeling those things, flee into the arms of Christ and know that there is full acceptance and there is full forgiveness and that we can move forward. Because our church is, is doing this. Hear this. Our church is discipling people. We have youth group. We have kids group. We have small groups. We have women's events and men's events. We have all these different things going on. But those are Sundays, Wednesdays, sometimes other random off days. But if we want to practice real deep discipleship, then it will take every day. So we want to answer what is discipleship. Here's a brief definition I'll give you. It is the spiritual, it is spiritually caring for and equipping brothers and sisters to be more like Jesus. Spiritually caring for and equipping brothers and sisters to be more like Jesus. As we see people who come to faith and are adopted into the family of Christ, and we see and we recognize that they need training, and they need care, and they need assistance. Paul talks about spiritual growth like maturing into adulthood from childhood, right? Those new converts are like babies who need milk, but they can't stay on milk forever. As they grow and mature, they need to be weaned off milk and onto spiritual meat, weightier things, heavier things. And as babies, when, when we're babies, we don't just wean ourselves off milk, but it takes the guiding hand of a parent or someone else to give us uh, heartier foods, to give us meat, to give us fruit, to, to wean us off. We need to see and recognize when our brothers and sisters need care and need training because discipleship is ultimately rooted in love. We cannot complete the Great Commission without first following the greatest commandment. We can't complete the Great Commission without first following the greatest commandment. We cannot go and make disciples of all nations until we love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. See, it is not just obedience to Christ that inspires us to disciple, but to love God and to love others that compels us to make them disciples. Seeing someone as made in the image of God, as valuable and loved by the creator of the universe should compel us, should compel our hearts in love, should motivate us to go and make them disciples. 
and not just to make them believe in Jesus, right? Not just to make them uh, uh, convert, rather, but make them know Jesus deeply, to know his commands and his instructions, to know him fully. So discipleship starts in obedience to Christ, but it is always rooted in love for God and for our neighbors. Any discipleship that is not rooted in love is not discipleship at all. So that sounds all well and good. It sounds really hard. It sounds really convicting. A lot of us don't do this. I know I don't. So how do we move towards this? So a lot of this is different than, than a lot of these sermons, right? We've been, what is God? What is salvation? What is the Bible, right? These are all uh, head things. But now, discipleship, this is something we do, right? We take an active part in this. So how do we disciple? How do we go about making disciples? So I want us to think about two questions uh, as, we, as, as we wrap up and then we think about what this, how this changes our lives, what this calls us to. Here's question one. Are you stagnant or are you growing? Are you stagnant or are you growing? When you think about your spiritual life, are you stagnant or are you growing? Can you see spiritual growth in your life from, from last year to now? Or from last month to now? Or from last week to now? H have you challenged yourself to live for Christ? Have you served God and his people? How has your mind been shaped by the word? I know for a lot of us, the answers to these questions are not what we would like them to be. They come up negative. We think, I haven't challenged myself. I haven't served God's people. I haven't been shaped by his word. The answer to those questions, to turn that around, is discipleship. We need someone to come alongside us and to help us grow and to mature in faith, to walk us through God's word and to hold us accountable for our sins. If, if we found the answers uh, to those questions that we were asking ourselves lacking, we need discipleship. And guess what? All of us should find the answers to those questions before lacking because we all fail in these ways and need someone to intentionally disciple us, to intentionally care about our spiritual needs and to equip us with the words of God, to equip us as followers of Jesus, as disciples. Because more often than not, if you have someone intentionally pouring into your life, caring for your spiritual being, if you have someone discipling you, then you will feel growth and you will feel change. And if you don't feel that way, then the person discipling you can say, hey, last week you looked like this, but look where we are now. Or last month, you looked like this, and look where we are now. Or last year, you looked like this, and look where you are now. Now, if you answer these questions, and, and you do feel like you're, you're growing, and, and you're challenging yourself, and you're being discipled by God's word, and you're serving God's people, then the question you must ask yourself is, who am I passing that along to? Who am I discipling? If you are living your life and you are reaping the benefits of the gospel of Jesus Christ and now you are refusing to disciple others, you're like a dragon hoarding the most valuable treasure of all and you're saying, no one can touch this. This is mine. Stay away. You're like the man who is given a great treasure and he goes out and he buries it in a field. If you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and you feel yourself growing and changing and maturing, then you will pray for God to reveal someone to you today to disciple. 
You'll begin to look for ways that you can serve the church and the spiritual needs of those in it. Are we stagnant or are we growing? And then question two, what is your sphere of influence? What is your sphere of influence and and how, how can you use it? If we're all called to be disciple makers, and we are, then we need to see the place that God has put us as the most fertile soil for discipleship. You are placed in uh, Mainville, Ohio, or Lebanon, or or wherever you may live in 2021, in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, for a purpose. God saw this time and place in history as fertile soil for you to make his name great, for you to continue to make disciples. So think about all the places that you have influences on people. Think about your family, or your children, or your friend group, or your workplace, or if there's a a restaurant you frequent, a coffee shop you go to. Where do you go and see the same faces day in and day out? Where are you forming relationships with people? Where do you get, uh, who do you get to speak to on a daily, weekly, or or monthly basis? There's a member of our church who calls me at least once a month, and he has been giving me updates about this young man uh, who's in his sphere of influence that is not a believer. And, and our church member uh, continues to talk this kid, with this kid and, and give him resources and, and have conversations with him about, about spiritual things. And, and this young man is not a believer. He is not converted to faith in Christ. But even if he never converts, even if he's never, uh, uh, never a believer in Jesus Christ, then our church member has been faithful to the Great Commission because he is intentionally trying to disciple this man into a believer. He is constantly uh, speaking with and reminding this person that he is a sinner who needs to repent and trust Christ. He's using his sphere of influence well. We, we sing that song, uh, the blessing about uh, uh, to your children and your children and your children and a thousand generations. Uh, that starts here today with you, parents. How are you instructing your kids in the Lord? Because if you want your children and their children, and their children, and their children for a thousand generations to reap the blessing of God's favor, then you should be discipling your children now. You should take responsibility in their spiritual maturity, not just passing the buck to to the local church or to other people. Husbands, are you discipling your wives? Wives, are you discipling your husbands? Kids, how are you discipling your siblings, or your friends, or the people around you? See, our sphere of influence is much bigger uh, than we ever think it is. So who in your sphere of influence uh, are you calling and are you intentionally discipling? See, for too long, we've neglected to make disciples. We've neglected uh, to, to bring people into the faith and to teach them the Bible rather than uh, just baptize them and, and, and leave them all to their, themselves to figure it out. We've neglected teaching people within our walls. We've neglected discipling people outside of our walls. We've refused to have spiritual conversations and to call people to hard truths. Or sometimes we're even just scared to utter the name of Jesus. A lot of times the church in in, in 2021 is marked by a great omission and have not been living a great commission. Let today be the day that that is no longer the case. 
Let today be the day that that stops. Let today be the day that we say, I am no longer content just being a believer in Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to share and hang on every word, every action, every thought with Jesus. Let today be the the day that we commit to stop standing on the spiritual sidelines, right? And we stop caring about what other people do because we got Jesus and we're good. Stop being complacent with half-hearted spirituality. Today, we can commit to being disciples who make disciples. And then we can pray that those disciples will make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And the name of Jesus will be made great and the kingdom will expand. Maybe today you're here and you'd say, Ryan, I love Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus, but I don't know where to start. I need to be discipled. There's a church full of people who are ready to take you under their wing, to teach you, to mold you, to form your heart, your mind, and your hands to live more like the person of Jesus Christ. In just a few minutes, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. There will be men up here. I'll be up here. Pastor Brent will be up here. We, we want to connect with you so we can uh, either enter into a relationship of discipleship with you or we can connect you with someone who can. And we can start growing and maturing together as a church. Maybe there's a friendship or a relationship you have in this church and you, you want to say, hey, I'm done uh, with us just being casual friends. I want us to begin to disciple each other. And I want you to make a plan on how you're going to do that, how you're going to study the word together and pray together and hold each other accountable. Or maybe you're out there and you don't know what the, all this discipleship stuff is about. You could not care less about a theology of discipleship, but you know that you are broken and that you are hurting and that you are ready to say, I can't do this on my own, Ryan. And I'm ready for someone to fix it. I'm ready to deny myself. I can't do it anymore. I'm ready to pick up my cross and I'm ready to follow Jesus. If that's you today, I'm gonna be up here. Pastor Brent's gonna be up here. The men are going to be up here, and, and, and we want you to enter into God's family so we can disciple you, and we can wean you off spiritual milk, and we can see you and celebrate you growing into a mature follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to open your mouth and, and, and sing and worship a God who has put people in your life who has intentionally discipled you. Just respond. Think about if you're stagnant, if you're growing, think about your sphere of influence. Think of those who you might disciple because we are not called like Forrest Gump to get up and run across our porch and our driveway and Greenbow County and the great state of Alabama, but we are called to make disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and to all the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we have failed to live up to your holiness and your commands. Father, we have failed to follow the great commission. We have failed to make disciples. So God, this morning, we come before you and we kneel at your throne and we repent. We repent of our complacency. We repent of our selfishness. God, we repent of our lack of care. 
and love for our brother and sisters and our lack of obedience to you. God, but we know that you are the great teacher who who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. So God, let us be a part of that chain this morning. Let us commit to being disciples of Jesus Christ who then go and make disciples. Not because we have to, but because we love those who are made in your very image. God, I pray that we stop as a church and as individuals, we will no longer be content with stagnation, but we will commit to growing and maturing together. God, that we will stop being content with spiritual milk, but we will grow uh, into weightier and heavier things. God, we know that we cannot do these things on our own. We know that we must deny ourselves and give you full control that that might be done. So God, let us do that this morning. Let us use this time to commit to giving ourselves over to you, to entering into disciple-teacher relationship with you and with others in our church. God, use your spirit, convict our hearts, refresh our hearts, encourage those who need discipleship, those who have been doing discipleship. God, we thank you for them. We, we encourage as we continue uh, to work together as a church, those, those teachers and those leaders and those servants who are, who are never seen, God, we thank you for them because they are living out the very act of the Great Commission. They are making disciples of our children and their children and their children. Father God, we ask these big things. We know you are the only power and the only authority who can answer these prayers. We ask them in the name of your son. In his name we pray.